to Media Literate, a collaborative podcast where we search for new ways to look at some of the most famous texts in popular culture. Hold on to your gabagool, folks. This week, we are talking about The Sopranos. I'm Kim Henry, your omniscient narrator, and I haven't seen The Sopranos because I'm lame and I've only watched like 30 movies, so I have no idea what Gabagool is. Okay, this is the last time Laura gets to write my intro on her own. Anyways, this week, Daniela, Charlotte, and Laura are on for a conversation about one of the most important television series of all time, and one of its most important characters. All of the food. Specifically, Our hosts dive into how eating disorders manifest on The Sopranos in both the show's female and male characters, and the intimate links between food, family, mental health, and masculinity. Just a warning before we get started. This episode is a bit of a heavy one and contains discussions of eating disorders and diet culture throughout. Also, a lot of spoilers for all seasons of The Sopranos. With those disclaimers, Enjoy this week's episode of Media Literate while I go Google Gabagool. Hi, my name is Daniela Velasco, and I don't know how to start a podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm here with my co-host, Charlotte Skurlock, and guest, Laura Broman. Hello. Uh, Hi. Today we're going to be talking about um, eating disorders and the Sopranos as well as uh, food cultures within it, but um, we'll be focusing on um, how uh, eating disorders show up within the men in the Sopranos because it is a show about men and masculinity or rather myths of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how that plays out through um, their eating habits. I feel like before we go any further, because I feel like the people I since I started watching The Sopranos, which in the we, we like we met like a week and a half ago to do pre-production for this, and in that time at that point I had not seen any Sopranos episodes, and I have now seen like two and a half seasons of Sopranos. So, um, but I feel like when I told people I was watching it, they were like, "Really? Like, isn't that isn't that just like eighty hours of?" like Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. And I definitely feel like, no, you know, like it's definitely more, I don't know. I'm not to, I mean, if you like the idea of 80 hours of Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, like that's not totally valid for you, but there's definitely a lot of like other dimensions to it. Like mental health, um, women are present, you know, there's women there and I love the female characters. Also, just as a full disclosure to our dear listeners, um, I have seen probably in total about two seasons, but a lot of that has been kind of chopped up between, I've seen almost all of the first season and then like various episodes sprinkled throughout the other seasons. Um, Charlotte and I are fake fans. Yeah, we're fake fans, Um, (laughs) but here we are nonetheless to talk to you. I this show. <laughs> yeah. Daniela is a true fan. Yeah. Daniela is, yeah. she knows a lot about this show. Yeah. I'm one step away from buying $80 sweatpants with Tony Soprano's show, uh, face all over it. Um, those I look so great. My, I want those sweatpants too. <laughs> I figured out my Soprano's um, future tattoo already is where Chrissy wears the neck brace at the funeral. <laughs> in season one yeah um I have full disclosure I guess I have seen every single episode I'm currently on my first rewatch so I'm on season five of my rewatch um and I've also listened to all of the Talking Sopranos episodes and I'm also re-listening to that um podcast about the Sopranos amazing she's an expert guys I do want to say though, I read on, I think like a blog post for one of our classes that Daniela started watching this show a month ago. 
Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but if that is true, I am so impressed because she knows like the episodes, like she can just rattle them off. It's so anyways, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts, Daniela. This this hasn't happened. I didn't even really like the show for the first three seasons. For the first two seasons, I was like- Those are the ones we've seen, Daniela, no. I had it in the background and then like by the third season like I would sit down in the fourth and fifth season I got really emotional and I would just not shut up about it and now I'm <laughs> that's where I'm at right now I liked I liked oh I liked I liked season one uh and season two they worked for me but oh re-watching them I love them now yeah. but yeah it, it it was a bit of a slow burn but I don't know why there there was obviously something really enigmatic about the show that was drawing me in and um I didn't really start reading the food into the show until I mean not like not more directly until probably about season three mm. but it was always in the background especially with Artie Buko who had the yeah the restaurant um Vesuvio um was a very important part of the show and then I started realizing like oh they spend a lot of time at that restaurant they also spend a lot of time at that pork store it's interesting that like, because it's Satriala's, the other place that they hang out all the time is the strip club, Bada Bing. And yeah. like, it's interesting to consider like those being the two, like a strip club and also a pork store. It just feels like there's something there. Um, so Ooh, yeah. We should get back to that actually. But first we should talk about the BuzzFeed quiz that we took. Hell yeah. Um, so if you search for Sopranos BuzzFeed quiz, there's basically two and they're both about um, who would you, who would be your lover in the Sopranos? <laughs> um, that's very, um, actually, that's really interesting. The, the BuzzFeed quizzes, um, the two BuzzFeed quizzes that I found were very geared towards, uh, female fans of mm-hmm. the show. And I don't know if, like, BuzzFeed yeah. is a very feminine, uh, website or whether or not, like, that's kind of more who the art. Uh, that's the type of audience that's uh, coming into the Sopranos in this hmm. quarantine time because a lot of the people that I've heard that are watching the Sopranos at this time are all women. That's interesting. I'll say that you, Daniela, are the first woman who I ever heard recommend the show to me. Like, it was only ever dudes before. It's interesting, the BuzzFeed thing is kind of like a, a male gauge reversal where it's like, we are very much not seeing these people as like people to identify with. They are just in this content, the context of the BuzzFeed quiz, they are like sex objects, uh, these men, so. Yeah, I think that's a really good question though, Daniela. Like, is this because BuzzFeed is targeted toward women or is it because women have been watching The Sopranos recently? And I tend to think it's the former, but um, Mm -hmm. I mean, when was this quiz made? Because that might be, let's see. Okay, this was in 2018 which I would argue is a time when people weren't like binging TV the way that like I currently am binging TV. Um, I don't know about that. Well, HBO, was HBO Max a thing? No. HBO Go, HBO Now was a thing. Yeah, I had HBO Go and when I had that, I was binging True Blood. Yeah, and a lot of this, like, I think The Sopranos was on Prime before then. Because I remember yeah. because I almost started watching it and then I didn't. Right. So another thing that I noticed about the BuzzFeed quiz is that every single question is a, except one, is about food. So first mm-hmm. one, pasta dish. Uh, what's your love language? Is the only one that's not about food. And then yeah. there's choose a meat or cheese from the deli. Um, oh, what turns you on the most? Okay. <laughs> and then the if last. If it had been food, that would have been amazing. What was that? If it had been food, that would have been amazing. If it was like, what turns you on the most? And it's just like a bunch of pictures of food. Okay, so <laughs> like, oh my god, let me pick. I guess the way I'm reading this quiz that I just retook like 15 minutes ago, as about all about food, shows a lot about how I read, um, how why I've been reading The Sopranos so intensely about food. But I feel mm. like you don't really have to read it intensely because the show has its own official cookbook. Mm. Um, but anyways, uh, that's well, then I would add to that also, like, you know, as someone who has not seen 
a ton of this show, but wanted to be on this podcast episode. <laughs> if you search Sopranos food on YouTube, like there are multiple people who have done multiple compilations of like just characters mm -hmm. on the Sopranos eating. And so I think in some ways it does make sense that food is so significant in this BuzzFeed quiz. Yeah. It's very, um, like underlying a lot of, the, and it becomes explicit in season three. I think it, we, should, well, we can talk about that later. Um, what did you guys get? Who did I you got, guys get? I got Silvio Dante, who- Oh, really? Uh, Sorry. Played by um, little um, Steven Van Zandt yeah, in yeah. the Bruce Springsteen band. Yeah. Um, so it says, you got Silvio Dante. Style, intelligence, not that murderous. Silvio is a <laughs> Actually, don't think Silvio murdered anyone on screen on the- He the did movie. like beat up a stripper, but you know, whatever. No, I mean. that was, oh yeah, he did, my bad. <laughs> I was about to defend him, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> he is your man now, you have to. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, who did you get, Charlotte? So, um, I've taken this quiz a, a couple times because I forgot who I got, but mm. then I kept getting the same one and I wanted to see if I could trick the algorithm. Turns yeah. out I couldn't. So, <laughs> um, I also can't fully pronounce this name, but I got Bobby Bacala. 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 He's good. We like, we okay. like Bobby Bacala, right? Well, my, my description is, oh, Bobby is such a sweetheart. Good for you. So. He's um, a sweetheart. That is, that's like probably the only good option. I got Christopher, um, but then I didn't like that as an option. And so I retook the quiz to like try to like do the answers that I thought would get me Tony and I did. So I actually got Tony. <laughs> so well, that's what I did too. I was trying to retake it to get Christopher cause he's cute. <laughs> and I kept getting Bobby like over. <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> They won true love, apparently. Just me and Christopher. I don't want to take Christopher away from Adriana, even if she deserves so much better than Christopher. She's like, I love her so much. Um, I'll keep watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> I do like, I don't know, there's something, I don't know, just something so interesting about like this, like who should be, which, which Sopranos character, which of these men who like all cheat on their spouses, like, commit lots of acts of violence should be your lover like that's just that's just like a an interesting thought yeah and I I guess I still don't think of this show as something that particularly appeals to women mm. um even though Daniela likes it or not likes it loves it but like <laughs> I don't think of this show as being like like Laura said it's Daniela is the first woman that has recommended this to me. Like, my dad loves it mm -hmm. a whole lot. Um, I think that, like, I was talking to, like, one of my close male friends about this show, who, and he also loves The Sopranos, and he was telling me that one of the, like, on IMDb, they have, like, the top-rated quotes of The Sopranos on, like, yeah, like, on IMDb, and the, like, one of the top-rated quotes is Silvio's impression of, like, Pacino in Godfather 3 doing, like, uh, what's the line? Um, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in, and, like, like, I was, like, wait, hang on, so your favorite quote, like, for a large contingent of, like, the, the Sopranos fan base, their favorite quote is, in fact, a quote from a different, like, Italian mobster property like like so do you like so that means that there's just an entire contingent of people who are just like kind of just there for the godfather references like so I feel like that's I don't know I feel like when I watch it I'm like 100% there for Carmela and Dr. Melfi and like the conversations about mental health and like the family melodrama like I'm just watching a very different show than the guy who like rated Silvio's Pacino impression as like their favorite Godfather or their favorite Sopranos thing. So I would rank that as one of my favorite Sopranos thing too. But <laughs> the reason why is because like the more you watch it, the like the more you'll notice that they kind of the men in the show are trying to re uh, kind of mirror or copy what they've mm -hmm. seen in famous mobs. Oh, for sure, yeah. 
so like that also affects the way that they they act and like again that I brought up earlier in the intro this myth of masculinity where they're like Mm -hmm. oh that's the way Pacino or Brando were carrying themselves in this in this film in this um you know like myth or fantasy of what a mob family is like Mm -hmm. where it's like this really really macho kind of idealism of something that that's past and even Tony says in one of the episodes um I think he tells Dr. Melfi that um even though I'm more successful than my father my father's time was better because that was back in the day when men were able to be men and they were able to get away with more things um and so like he's stuck to this idealism of this past like this nostalgia for something that he never experienced but he thinks he experienced through watching films like the godfather mm-hmm. well i also going back to daniela's point about sort of this like masculine code written into sort of the gangster um genre and we see this in the sopranos as well per daniela's recommendation i watched an episode called weight um which okay so this is really showing my cards like I don't know all the characters names but essentially there is a mobster a pretty high up mobster I do believe his wife is overweight and is constantly dieting I just want to point out that the mobster that you're talking about he's the head of the New York family his name is John Sacramoni okay so Um, John Sacramoni's wife is overweight and she is kind of chronically dieting um, and clearly in this kind of cycle that's not working for her. Um, And then at a dinner, um, somebody makes a comment about her weight in a derogatory fashion. And um, this gets back to John. John, They call him Johnny Sack. Okay, this gets back to Johnny Sack. Um, and he is pissed, especially because he sees his wife, like, putting so much effort into dieting, and he says to other people, because he goes and talks to Tony about this, he talks to a lot of people about it, and he's like, she's my wife, I love her, no matter what, she is beautiful to me, no matter what, um, and he goes so far as wanting to, like, kill the guy that made this comment, um, pretty aggressively like he really wants to kill this guy he's making this whole scene he's making this whole stink he's like you I'm gonna kill the guy who said this there used to be a code like you can't say that about someone's wife there used to be a code it standards used to be different this Mm. used to be like unquestionable that if someone says this type of shit um his name is Ralph um fucking Ralph I hate that dude (laughs) But if someone says this sort of thing, then like they're out, they're Mm -hmm. killed. Um, And um, he, John, uh, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting the names, but John is very insistent on this. Like he needs to be killed. I want to kill him. I want to murder him sort of thing until he catches his wife who again has been in front of him and at least in the story arc that I saw in this episode has fully just been committed to dieting and, you know, making fruit salad and like diet light cool whip and all this stuff. Um, and then he catches her in the basement, um, binge eating. And, um, all of a sudden he is like, you know what? I love you to his wife. I love you. Um, and you don't have to do all these diets. Like, I love you no matter what. But he also calls off all of this, um, all of these hits, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's okay. Like, don't kill anyone. And to me, that was like a very, um, very interesting dynamic because it's sort of like he's saying, oh, you know, if she's trying to lose weight, then you can't make fun of her weight. But if she, is like, quote, mm. not trying, um, which is, when I say not trying, I don't mean that in like, I don't know, there's so much to get into with that. There's so much nuance, but um, 
I thought that there was, I thought it was really interesting how um, it's like, as soon as he realizes that she's not being the perfect dieting wife, he's like, mm. oh, well, it's okay to like, it's not okay, but it's not, it's no longer so important to me that you mm-hmm. like die because you said this about my wife. Uh, actually, that's really interesting because I'm curious as to why he like, I don't know if it's just because they wanted that story arc of it to like be this big problem and then just like mm. resolve itself at the end, which is not something that The Sopranos normally does. Um, but we don't really see that much of Johnny Sack's inner life until like near the end of the series. Um, and then actually in the end of the series, we see more of his family and his so his wife is overweight and his daughter is overweight, but then he has, he has two daughters. So one daughter's overweight and then another one is incredibly skinny. She's played by, um, I think her name is Christina uh, Miliotti. She played the mother in- oh, In How I Met Your Mother, yeah. Mother. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's like super young in that episode mm-hmm. where they saw her and they're visiting their dad. Um, sorry, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. They're, she, they're visiting their dad in um, at, in the jail and she's smoking a cigarette and then they're talking about I don't remember what and then um, at one point she's, she gets really angry she's like very agitated she's smoking a cigarette she's incredibly skinny and then she gets really agitated and says food food all you guys talk about is food so it's really interesting I really want uh, a, like Star Wars gets so many random comic books and books. I want a Sopranos book about uh, Johnny Sack's life. Because <laughs> Sopranos of... expanded universe. Yeah. Just to yeah. add like a tiny bit more context to that, because I actually watched this scene today because as I might have mentioned earlier on this pod, I've been watching a lot of food, mm-hmm. S- Sopranos food YouTube compilations. Um, and the reason she brings that up is because like, Johnny says, you need to eat, like make sure you eat. And then his wife says, oh, you know, no way I'm not eating. I'm eight pounds away from my goal weight. And that's when she says like, why does, why can't we talk about anything other than Mm. food? Um, And I think that like one of the reasons that I haven't been able to get super into this show is because I find it difficult to watch so much food um and not be I don't know in some way I hate this word but like in some way triggered so since we're talking about eating disorders I'm just going to start talking about this for one second Mm -hmm. um so I have struggled with eating disorders for 10 years and I've struggled with um like many different sort of symptoms of that Um, and primarily it's been restrictive eating disorders, um, you know, vastly primarily it's been restrictive. Um, and when I am in periods of restriction, I am just so obsessed with food. I cannot stop Mm. thinking about food. I am, you know, sitting in class thinking about what I'm going to eat when I get home or what I'm allowed to eat and all these different things. And then, you know, I spent so much time watching food content um, on YouTube, you know, from, I was very invested in the vegan YouTube community for a long time. Mm, right. And um, also like tasty videos and things like that, just like watching food being prepared. And I think this is a relatively common symptom of starvation. Um, so I don't think I'm alone in that experience. But I think that since I've only tried to start watching The Sopranos since I've been in like a, a healthier place mm-hmm. um, and unhealthier because COVID's been really hard, really, right. really. But like bo- in both of those cases, it's just hard to watch so much food. Um, so anyways, but that is for the listeners, my justification for not being fully into this show, mm-hmm. I guess, among other things, maybe. Um, um, I also, <laughs> 10 years um, this year, 2011, I think, yeah, was when I was diagnosed with um, 
anorexia nervosa and um Charlotte I always think about the thing that you said where you've had every every dis eating disorder in the book or something like that um I basically had that too and that I think that kind of explains like it's interesting like that's why you're among other reasons kind of against or not against but rather having difficulty getting into the show but because I have been um particularly last week I have been in um kind of in the roller coaster of starvation I've been non-stop watching videos of people decorating cakes and non-stop watching the sopranos um and reading the cookbook and looking at everything and that's why i've been wanting to quit my dog for like twelve thousand years because i can't keep being surrounded by food but um you know i think it's also therapeutic to for me this week where i'm trying to go back up that hill of being okay with eating um I don't know, like feeling less alone, I think in a way, and because The Sopranos is so much about um, psychology, even though Tony Soprano is not the, not, actually I, I, I kind of wish I'd prefaced this in the beginning. I don't condone anything Tony Soprano does. The, the reason right. why he's such a very likable character is because A, James Gandolfini, and B, the show mm -hmm. him to be likable for mm -hmm. the sake of the show to exist. But if Tony Soprano were a real human being, uh, like right now on my rewatch, I'm liking him a lot less, loving James Gandolfini more, hating Tony Soprano yeah. so much more because he's so narcissistic, he mm -hmm. take responsibility. So he's not the vision of mental health. Nobody, nobody on this show is a vision of mental health. Everyone has their issues. I mean, but they're still human. But, um, sorry, I forgot where I was going. But at the same time, like, I'm, you know, I'm also a child of an immigrant. So seeing the way that they deal with food in a way that I deal with food, despite the fact that I'm not like white, white, I'm still, um, you know, part of that, uh, Italian immigrants were very discriminated against a, a mm -hmm. while ago and kind of still are. There are a lot of Italian American jokes that I'm guilty of making. Um, and I kind of want to step away from that because it's also something like if they, those same jokes are being made about Mexican Americans, I would be um, very upset about. Um, but you know, it's sure. like these food cultures that are so, um, I don't know, that's something else that, <laughs> I feel like I'm going off on a tangent, but something that's really interesting about The Sopranos that I really, really love and like enjoying watching is how they gather around food. And mm -hmm. I, I really hate that my relationship with food has been so tarnished because something that should be enjoyable in terms of like gathering um, with the family um, is disrupted because I have these very unhealthy eating habits where I'll either eat everything or nothing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I kind of get like a, a, a secondhand enjoyment of at least when they gathered, the whole family gathers together to eat together. <laughs> because in this way, I can kind of pretend like, um, I don't know, maybe I can get to that point. Um, where I'm not just thinking about the food, but rather thinking about what the food can allow me to do in terms of, you know, celebrating or togetherness. Just some facts on binge eating disorder from the National Eating Disorders Association. I will say also I'm somewhat hesitant always to include statistics, um, especially about eating disorders um, and other things that are so subjective because I know personally like the majority of the time that I've struggled with an eating disorder, it has not been um, something that was diagnosed. 
that is to say like so many things go unreported or un, unspecified um, and I would be willing to bet that despite like watching Tony Soprano perhaps part participate in behaviors that I would consider disordered, at least like binge eating disordered. Um, I don't think that he is like having conversations with his doctor about this in a way that would get like published in this sort of study. So I am hesitant always about these mm. statistics. However, um, uh, approximately 3.5% of women and 2% of men have had binge eating disorder during their lifetime, which makes binge eating disorder more than three times more common than anorexia and bulimia combined. Um, this is to say like we talk, when we talk about eating disorders, we, or maybe I shouldn't say we, but like, I think the cultural narrative is definitely centered around restrictive eating disorders, particularly in women mm -hmm. um, and, and also even more particularly white women, um, not to call out myself, but it's like, that is me. Um, <laughs> and um, another stat is approximately 40% of those with binge eating disorder are male. Um, three out of 10 individuals looking for weight loss treatments show signs of binge eating disorder. So I think we can see, at least I can see when watching this show, a lot of times where food is used for similar functions as like my eating disorder has functioned um, as comfort or I think that's, I mean, comfort control. Um, but then also like Daniela was saying, it's a lot about um, community and family and culture and um, I, I think it's kind of an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting text because it balances both of these sort of like what we think of as, or not what we think of, but like healthy relationships with food and disordered eating. There is this underlying current that does make food feel very present throughout, whether it's like eating at the dinner table or like having like meeting outside Satriali's or like Tony's specific relationship to meat. Um, there's just a lot there. Specifically with the idea of like binge eating dis disorder in in Tony or in the other male characters on the show. Daniela has the resident expert on The Sopranos. Maybe you can speak to that. I, I feel like probably the best that we're gonna get out of like this topic. I mean, uh, aside from Tony, one of the characters who is very much shows uh, disordered eating, particularly binge eating disorder is uh, Vito Spadafor who is played by uh, Joseph R. Ganascali, the character of Vito, who appears in, I believe, season four is when he starts to appear. Season five is when he becomes more prominent. And in season five is where you find out that he's gay. Um, so he gets caught by um, Meadow Soprano's then boyfriend, um, giving head to a security guard. Um, and so... Um, there's this very big giant stigma again going back to masculinity like they have these myths and ideas of masculinity like they see um giving head um or sorry rather men giving conolingus um mm. is very much not it, no, no no it is not a faux pas which is what i was gonna say it's not a faux pas it's like against the unwritten laws of yeah. the mob yeah. so giving head to a woman is bad enough. Um, giving head to a man, like you cannot be gay in the mafia. Like that's mm. not even a question. And at least in the time that we're watching The Sopranos, I don't know um, how the mob is doing it that nowadays if they're more open-minded. Um, but at least back in the time of, um, you know, of The Sopranos and it's heyday in the early 2000s, um, yeah being gay was just that that's a death sentence like mm -hmm. you you cannot be gay and be alive in the mob basically mm -hmm. so um Vito Spadafore's secret is very much a life 
or death situation. So when he gets caught by Meadow Soprano, who is Tony Soprano's daughter, when he gets caught by Meadow Soprano's um, then boyfriend, you know, he's, he is basically telling him like, if you tell anyone, I'm going to have to kill you because um, in return, I will be killed. And um, in the first episode of season six, um, it shows that Vito, who in um, the previous seasons was um, incredibly overweight, ends up losing, I believe, 160 pounds. And so in the season, and uh, the first episode of season six, it's shown that he's lost all this weight, 160 pounds, and he's posing for um, an ad a la Jared from Subway. Um, um, so I'm throwing up noises because... Fuck that guy. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse in this. <laughs> um, we curse a lot. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. So yeah, uh, fuck Jared from Subway or whatever the F his name is. Um, so again, this plays into the diet culture. Later seasons of the episode are, are discussed more about diet culture as opposed to the mm. first few seasons where it's just kind of like in the back, not in the background really, but not openly discussed. Right. So, um, you know, this plays into diet, uh, diet culture and all this stuff. And then later in, within season six, six A, for some reason, the, the season is split up six yeah. A. So in, later in season six A, as Vito's, um, he gets caught in a gay bar by someone else and he's wearing like a total Tom and Tom of Finland fit with the leather and stuff. I really love that. <laughs> So he gets caught by a different mob family that he's at um, a gay club. And so he starts getting stressed out like, oh shit, they're going to find my secret that I'm gay. And so he starts stress eating vegetables. So there's a scene where he's just like shoving vegetables and salad in his mouth. Mm. Uh, and then later in the season, he gets outed. And so he goes on the run. Well, he isn't like fully outed, but it's very suspected. And before he gets completely outed, he goes off on the run and before, you know, anything can happen to him. And so as he's out, he's eating, he begins eating junk food and stuff. And eventually he goes to this diner where he meets his future lover. Um, and they meet through like him feeding him flapjack. So his lover's a cook. Um, and he feeds him flapjacks. And so later on throughout that season, he equates co coming out of the closet and accepting himself with having a decent relationship with food. He isn't binge eating, whether or not it's health, quote unquote, sorry, you can't see whether or not he's quote eating, quote unquote, healthy or unhealthy food. Um, I also want to preface this as like, I don't want to necessarily say that something is healthy or unhealthy because food is sustenance. Mm. Um, yeah. It's not Good necessarily point. the food itself. It's um, the, the way in which you're consuming, whether or not it's kind of mindless eating or, you know, using food as a kind of a crutch to not deal with um, emotions, which I love doing. Um, <laughs> Anyway, anyways, um, so he has this very healthy seeming relationship with food where he's not like binge eating the flapjacks, but rather like he takes a bite and he's like, fuck, this is really delicious. And as they begin to live together, the two men, um, you know, there's a scene uh, where they're cooking dinner together and it's really open and healthy relationship. So I think that's something that the show is trying to say is that like, once you're kind of allowing yourself to be more open with who you are as a person and kind of leaving the mob behind because it's not until he escapes um, this re repressive and oppressive ideals of masculinity that mm -hmm. uh, the Soprano family or the mob families represent is Vito able to have a healthy relationship with food. And eventually Vito does um, go back to the, to the mob, spoiler alert, um and i don't remember whether or not it's shown what's happening with um oh he he actually once he leaves um that healthy relationship he starts to eat junk food again on on the road um so basically what i'm getting at is um what i mentioned earlier there's like no no escaping this 
oppressive ideals of masculinity that the mob mm. kind of imposes on the people who are in it. But again, going back to like the being an Italian American and using food as a way to like gather and stuff, food becomes a very easy and almost acceptable crutch mm-hmm. and it becomes a visible quote unquote visible problem i i don't want to fat shame i don't want to get too much into that but mm-hmm. basically like once it becomes something that's unattractive according to like societal standards is when it becomes a problem and they do a lot of fat, a ton of fat shaming throughout the show so much yeah and the only person who isn't uh fat shamed despite being technically quote-unquote again overweight is Tony but that's Mm -hmm. because he's a boss of the family all this power so it's almost like he's commenting on him is off limits but Christy does that behind closed doors he only complains about he calls Tony uh an overweight piece of shit I think or or, yeah. yeah he calls him like a fat fat piece of shit in um when a when he's high as fuck probably crossfaded and he's only complaining to adriana his can we see what we like were saying by the way at the beginning of this by the way like danielle could just pull these quotes out of thin air that's all i have to say she's a genius Um, i'm not a uh, no i'm not a genius i just need to watch something else for once but I think that even beyond food being like a comfort or a drug or all of these other things that I think food in this show serves the function of, um, I think also it's like identity. Um, and Definitely. especially for the women, um, I don't think we see the women interact with food in the same way that we see the men interact with food. For the most part, like, we don't see Carmela, you know, eating lunch. Like, she makes dinner, and she's present for all these meals, but we don't see, in the way that we see, like, Tony eating ice Mm -hmm. cream, and ice cream is a big thing in this show, as Daniela has pointed out. Um, But I think that, like, kind of there are so many moments where the women in this series prepare food and their the recipe that they use is their identity. Like there's, um, you know, somebody makes lasagna and he's like, you know, it's actually pretty good. It's actually pretty good. Like she put this type of cheese in and then another guy responds like, oh, was it like she put basil leaves? Or telling it to says like, oh, it has the basil leaves and the this type of cheese. That's Carmela's recipe or some other woman's recipe. And that kind of like diminishes any of the achievement in making good tasting lasagna because it's like, we well, are just taking that from her. Or also there's a scene where Carmela goes to visit Tony's mother with this pie and the Tony's mother says like, oh, I can't eat that, there's cholesterol. Mm. Um, and then Carmela says, oh no, I, I used low fat cheese. And, and the mother isn't interested if it's low fat cheese because it's like, that's not, that's not the food. And I think that like food is so tied into particularly the women, but like definitely the men too, to an extent. And then also there's the whole, um, is it a priest, the guy who like- Oh my God, I didn't even- Oh, that dude. (laughs) For context, this is a priest who like kind of flirts with a lot of the women in his, in his, um, what's the word? Congregation. Congregation, yeah. Um, And the way that Carmela knows that he flirts with a lot of women is he sees him eating another woman's pasta pasta yeah yeah and right, i want to pull another quote <laughs> in season one is either episode 12 or 13 where ricotta i forgot <laughs> carmella finally stands up to the priest and she's like i don't know what it is with you like you you have this weird mind game where you like to mess with women and Mm -hmm. like you like the idea of being sexually involved with them and it's somehow tied with food yeah she explicitly (laughs) says that i think she says like i think it has something to do with food um which is really interesting 
just to like tie, just to kind of tie a bow on this conversation. Um, so what can we like take from this show as, as it relates to food and, and mental health, disordered eating, masculinity, any of these many subjects we've touched on today? What are your like, you know, what can we, what can we take from watching this? What do, what do you think people should, should take away from this episode, this conversation and The Sopranos? All right, me personally, um, everything that Tony tells Dr. Melfi is just a way to figuratively feed his ego. Hey, nice. <laughs> uh, there's something that, I, that Charlotte had mentioned earlier is that um, he has a nostalgia for um, an idealized version of the mob that he's gained through watching The Godfather or Goodfella, mm. what he thinks his father had experienced um and i think the ice cream ties to that a lot um particularly sweets i feel attaches with his childhood um when he tries to um please his mom um he does it by giving her first some macaroons which she mm -hmm. says ah i don't <laughs> want that it's too sweet but then she eventually does eat it yeah and and another episode he takes her biscotti or yeah, biscotti is uh, less less sweet, so she ends up taking that, which I don't know if that was um, intentional on uh, the writer's part, or rather David Chase, who created the show. I don't know if that was intentional on his part. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about how sweets kind of harken to childhood, and I don't know if, at least for me, that's definitely something um, that I use sugar a lot. Um, as a way to kind of like feel like a child again. I make a lot of ice cream because that was my favorite thing to eat as a child. So I see the, the ice cream thing as kind of something that's intrinsically linked to his childhood, something that's mm. intrinsically linked to something that, um, a, a very difficult childhood that he had because his mother was horrible like she yeah. stabbed him with the fork at one point she said I'd rather kill I'd kill my children not she didn't say I'd kill myself she said I'll kill my children before I move to Arizona <laughs> so uh, basically what I want to say is that um reading food in the Sopranos is not much of a stretch but rather reading the way that these mafia men deal with the fact that they're murderers that they're liars that they're cheats and they try to tell themselves oh I'm I'm, it's particularly Tony Soprano is constantly telling himself or trying to reckon with himself that he is a morally just a def definitively good person but he's mm -hmm. not and that's shown through like the way he struggles with the fact that in subconsciously he knows that he is in no way shape or form a decent human being mm -hmm. because all the horrible acts that he commits just for himself and he says like oh I do it for my family I do it for this but he does it for himself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the mobsters are that way too, where Vito can't live a healthy life, a healthy, he can't have a healthy relationship with food because he wants to be a mobster. He like gets some enjoyment out of being a horrible human being. And so a lot of that um, emotional tension is reckoned through food, through, oh, through binge eating particularly. Mm -hmm. um, none of the men restrict themselves. There's one episode where Tony, tries to restrict himself by eating um he's at a diner with Bobby Bacala and Bobby orders a steak and Tony orders uh an omelet without <laughs> with no oil and I don't think there's any salt in it and then he doesn't even take a bite out of it he just looks at it looks at the steak and he goes hey hun can I get a steak um <laughs> like there's no he he won't even make an attempt to lead a healthy life He'll tell himself he'll do it. He'll like make empty gestures toward it, but um, it's just not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Not gonna happen for him. It's not gonna happen for anybody else. Right. Um, it just does not happen in that show. Right. Well put. Um, I think for me to answer Laura's questions, um, I think that even though I haven't seen like, a ton of this show I think what's worth taking away is that like disordered eating and eating disorders manifest in a lot of different ways 
And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's good to think about how eating disorders and disordered eating can manifest and impact men um, or can be non-restrictive, which I think both of these are seen in the show. However, it's never made explicit. Like it is never, nobody talks about how Tony Soprano uses ice cream to kind of like just downplay his emotions, Mm -hmm. which I think is a symptom of an eating disorder is like using food to kind of subdue these emotions. Nobody is like, oh, you just eat ice cream because you don't want to feel sad. Like, it's like he eats ice cream because it tastes good and all these other things, which are pro- which are definitely true. But I think that this show is like kind of unconsciously depicting mm-hmm. disordered eating in a way that I can't think of another text that I've seen as you know, an ED babe, I've seen a lot of eating disorder media, um, as we've talked about earlier, like, Mm -hmm. it's very, it's easy to get really roped in with all Mm. of this stuff and just like consume everything about eating disorders and everything about dieting and everything about all that. And so I think that like, even though this show does depict disordered eating, it does so in a way that's very at least to me, unaware of it. And Mm. I think that's really interesting. And it's interesting to see how that plays out. And I'm curious about like the production a little bit too, Mm. because it's like, well, why? I mean, who is being impacted by food this much that they're writing Mm. six six A and B seasons about it? You know, Mm. like where does this fit in? Because at least to me, um, there are like blatant eating disorders depicted in the show, not just disordered eating, not just like weird eating, not all mm. these other, like it is, it is eating disorders. Mm-hmm. But I do not feel like that was written into the text, death of the author, um, <laughs> whatever. But like, I don't feel like that was the goal in constructing these characters was like, they're all going to have right. eating disorder. It's more just like a subproduct of of the show. And I think that goes back to what Daniela was saying about masculinity. It's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's like, this is kind of one of the most famous and important shows in like television, American television history. It's kind of like one of the shows along with Buffy that like made television good. I love Buffy. Anyway, sorry, not relevant. But like it- Laura, you know, do you like Buffy? I do like Buffy. We should talk about it now. Anyway, um, <laughs> but um, but it's like, you know, this thing that's kind of there, like it's, it's, it's really there and like we don't, people don't really talk, but they talk about the food, but they don't necessarily talk about like the eating habits and like this, like the psychological impact of that and the eating disorders. So I think that's, I think it's really important to like think about. Um, Yeah. Well, I, sorry, I just wanted to jump back. Like what Charlotte was saying, that that's what really got me into like, kind of taking the, or wanting what I intended to talk about or rather focus on with this, podcast episode but there's just so much with the Sopranos like how can you encompass an entire what 80 plus hours and and into one mm-hmm. like 45 minute podcast episode but what got me interested in focusing on this aspect is how when it comes to eating disorders and I'm really glad Charlotte brought up binge eating disorders like or eating disorders in men and binge eating in general is not something that's necessarily talked about. Whenever you see eating disorders explicitly mentioned within media, it's always a focus on on women and mm-hmm. the, um, either anorexia or bulimia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And usually anorexia, usually very, very low weight anorexia, which I just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just have to say like the majority of people with eating disorders are not underweight and like the the vast 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 I can think of only a couple of representations of eating disorders that are not like emaciated white 
women, which is not how a lot of people with eating disorders present. Hmm. And it just kind of, but anyways, that's a whole different tangent and I'm sorry to interrupt, please go on. (laughs) No, I'm glad you brought that up because it's connected to what I was saying where it's like, well, when I had anorexia, I was very underweight, but that's because I had this idea of like, to be skinny, you had to be like in there you know like being emaciated or being like a waif model was something that really only happened in the 90s but because uh, somehow that seeped into my brain as I was growing up like six years old in the late 90s um you know I thought that's what skinny was and I had this idea or ideal of you know weight because it's what I saw in the media where it's just like all these women you know being really thin but I never thought or saw um, you know, how these eating disorders play out in men because it's just not talked about, just like whiteness is not talked about. It's just because it's not mentioned or not explicitly presented doesn't mean it doesn't exist. In fact, it's, it very much exists and it's very, very prevalent in, in our world. And so that's what I really liked about, I like to believe that that's, there was intent in the way eating disorders are shown in The Sopranos. I mean, you particularly see it in the later seasons, not so much in the beginning seasons. Um, But yeah, anytime eating disorders were explicitly mentioned, it was only through women with um, Meadow and her friend Hunter in season one. Like they even said that, oh, Hunter's in, um, Mm -hmm. in the the eating disorder clinic in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So like it only gets mentioned it only it gets explicitly mentioned with women but it's allowed to go under the radar with men even though they suffer from it too yeah and I think that's a really important like kind of I don't want to say alternative reading of the Sopranos but like kind of um it's an important reading that we don't give texts like this very much and I think that's just really valuable and it's just kind of a really underrepresented perspective. So thank you both for sharing that. All right, well, we have a very important phone call to make now. It's time for um, our very important segment that we like to call. We need to talk about Kevin. Uh, We're gonna call up our friend Kevin and see if he's finally, finally watched Twilight yet. So here we go. This is weird, he usually answers. Hmm. Did you, is he home? I mean, I don't know. Is it? He's Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Um, hey Kevin, we, we were calling to see if you've watched Twilight yet. I mean, I, I hope, are you, is he there? This is weird. He usually answers. This is embarrassing. Kevin. Um, <laughs> if we yell, maybe he'll, if we yell, maybe he'll pick up. Um, okay. Okay, well, you know, if anybody knows Kevin and wants to check in on him and see if he's seen Twilight yet, you know, maybe we can crowdsource this question a bit. Um, you empathize with the Collins? you know who they are? Kevin, I personally do empathize with the Collins. I mean, like, who does, like, he doesn't know the, he doesn't understand. Okay, we gotta, we gotta hang up. All right, well, I hope, I mean, I guess we'll check in next time, but that's weird. All right, well, huh. Huh. Okay, I'm not not sure what to do now. I feel a little empty. Should we, where does he live in, in? The East Coast. Oh, we go. He's in he's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania? We should, maybe we'll go there. We should. We should <laughs> knock on his door. All right. Um, well, I guess that's another installment of We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, sorry, everybody. I know that you're hoping to hear from him, but maybe maybe next time. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. If you liked this episode of Media Literate, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review the show. It helps folks find us so they can learn cool stuff, like Gabagool is a meat. 
of some variety. Pork, I think. Join us next episode for more invaluable media fun facts such as these. Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elsey, Sebastian Wurzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, and Julia Camus. Thanks again to this week's hosts, Daniela Velasco, Laura Broman, and Charlotte Skurlock. Charlotte also edited this week's episode. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Chiel, and our logo was created by Julia.